Georgie? The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Come with me if you want to live. And welcome to Road to Nowhere, the comic book, sci-fi and horror movie podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined um, all the way from Los Angeles in California on the stars of A Wounded Fawn and Blood Relatives, Josh Rubin. Hi Josh, how are you? I'm very well, sir. How are you? I'm good. Cold. Um, Glasgow, it's minus, <laughs> minus two just now, Celsius. I don't know what oh. that is. And, Fahrenheit 30 maybe. It's cold. It's cold. Yeah, it's chilly. It's, uh, it's like 55 uh, Fahrenheit here, which is, uh, you know, uh, unfair to even be complaining. But this is what happens when you move from a colder, from a cold, truly colder climate like New York and then move to California. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I was in um, Florida this year and it was the height of the summer. Far too hot for me. I'm not used to Very it. different. I know, man. I think us like uh, us uh, warm-blooded folk, it's tough. Aye, yeah, definitely. So um, we'll just crack on then straight into the two movies that you're involved with this year. Um, the first one, which got seemed to get a lot of festival buzz and just general great reviews early doors, uh, A Wounded Fawn. You have very good taste in art. Well, thank you. Do you work for a gallery or a private collector? I have plans this weekend. The mystery. Yeah, mystery man. What the right. what mystery man? I brought that record I was telling you about. Oh, great. To art and beauty. And the night ahead. Experienced anything weird here before? I'm really looking forward to our time here together. Um, from yes, Travis sir. Travis Stevens, who had previously done Jacob's Wife with Barbara Crampton. Um, girl on the third floor with, uh, I don't know, wrestling, but is it CM Punk? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's like his go-to dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know uh, a huge amount about wrestling, um, but I remember there was a lot of hype around his comeback or something I, I, the last time i watched wrestling I'm sure <laughs> i'm sure there was i i love when when filmmakers uh cast someone not known to be an actor like a different kind of artist like mm. in that in that regard i thought that was just so rad yeah 
Definitely. He was very good in it as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, but yeah, I think Stone Cold was a bad guy the last time I watched the WWE. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could tell you. Oh, the last time I had anything to do with that, I was just like playing it on Nintendo, you know, just yeah. like playing uh, video games. Yeah. Uh, X-Park, I think, was maybe in it. Yeah, uh, right. Going back a while there. Um, so, I wounded Fawn. I wrote a review of this, a, a positive review for a, a website called The Geek Show. Um, a very difficult movie to write a review about because, I mean, it's fucking wild, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. And you also don't want to spoil it. Um Coming into it, what did you know about the project from the off? Did you was there kind of kind of sort of hidden parts of scripts or anything like that? Well, Travis just wrote me on Twitter, and he he <clears throat> said, "I think you'd be good for this. Would you? Are you interested in performing? Because I know mm. you're a filmmaker." Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, absolutely. I I, I want to do it all." And when I read it, the whole kind of the, – the vision was all there. It, it, it read like a Sam Raimi film but also like a, like a Greek sort of tragedy or I should say Greek revenge uh, fantasy. Yeah. Um, and I also knew looking at Travis's visual deck, you know, he sent this kind of book of beautiful visuals. You just knew exactly the style of the film. It was going to be a shallow homage. So I, I, once, once I was reading it, also knowing just as a filmmaker – going to have all these practical effects and that mm-hmm. um that i knew i had to be a part of it yeah just what you're saying there with the the, the jalo influence you can definitely see that there's a lot of the colors are really bright and striking a lot of deep reds and mm-hmm. um especially in certain bloody scenes but in the house as well and the the red owl involved mm-hmm. um it is very kind of does have that jalo influence and then it's added to it by the, the kind of filming in 16 millimeter, which I thought was excellent as well. Yeah, wasn't that beautiful? That was our, yeah. uh, I think Travis knew, and he spoke with Joe Bagos, who had done a film called Bliss that I believe was shot on film. And uh, as Travis puts it, Joe demystified, you know, the, the, tr- the trials and tribulations of shooting on film was saying, hey, it's actually not as hard as, you know, and not, not as uh, troublesome as it's been made out to be. I think people just, I, I don't know, for some reason they want to they eke it out, but it's, it's affordable, it's doable. Um, and, and then, yeah, just to get into work with uh, Ksusha Gennenfeld, uh, who is our cinematographer, it's just such a rad experience. Shooting on film is unlike anything um, when you shoot digitally, you kind of feel like you can just, you know, not fuck off, but you can stop yourself and restart. And, you know, it, it feels a little more relaxed without uh, that being a known known or uh, that being sort of articulated. But when you're when you're shooting on film, there's an electricity in the air. There's a kind of energy um, where you know that every foot is um, several X dollars. Uh, <laughs> every every inch is, is an expensive um, kind of beat, more so than just your average film day. So we were all on our best behavior. You know, lines were learned, and mm-hmm. we we did the best we could taking our swings. Excellent. Um, just just saying there about the the electricity of the movie. Something you definitely feel when. So we get introduced to your character Bruce uh, off the bat at uh, 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 an auction for it's a, a piece. The we've got it written down here: the Wrath of the Irenius. Yeah, Irenius. Yeah, Irenius. Sorry, um, mm-hmm. and he 
comes across very charming, very approachable, and turns out he's a psycho. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's something that maybe a lesser movie might have started with the scenes between him and Meredith, not the scene with himself and Kate. Um, yeah. It definitely puts you straight in to his mindset. You get a, a kind of small glimpse of the the red door in the background after he's killed Kate, and yeah. it's it's a really impactful opening. And also, you get your own cool kind of killing mechanism thing that you've got. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's called a bog knock. It's uh, right. it's a claw, you know, essentially an iron claw developed by. Um, I think it originated in India as an assassin's tool made made for murders to appear as tiger attacks, which right. is just, you know, it feels very Bruce. He's got to have the exotic weapon. He doesn't want to be like all the other slashers with their machetes and the like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it feels obviously, yeah, he's a solitary predator as well, kind of instead of a, a sort yeah. of pack hunter, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, you straight away get those deep reds from that, the, the blood spilling on the carpet. And your kind of relationship with Meredith and the actress Sarah Lind, there seems to be an instant kind of camaraderie between the two. Obviously, Meredith's come out of a, a kind of previous abusive relationship. Bruce, Bruce almost seems too good to be true. And just the journey mm-hmm. up in the car, the way the two of you bounce off each other is great. Thank you. Yeah, Sarah is an artist. I've realized that, you know, she and I are very similar mm-hmm. in how we uh, approach <clears throat> acting. We, we just kind of like to dive in and play and find it. We're sort of naturalists like that. We're not necessarily method actors. We just want to dive in and just kind of, you know, fuck around. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we, we just got on right away. I mean, Travis and Sarah and I just kind of sat down and uh, went through the script and you could just tell right away it's like oh this is going to be great like this is like a merry band of weirdos you know we're, we're going to make this thing good mm-hmm. yeah 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 the two of you are fantastic together um in terms of your character of bruce his at the start of the movie when we're learning of his motivation and he is kind of influenced by or pushed towards murder by the red owl it seems is Mm -hmm. that um i know there's a lot of kind of based visually around the art world like the concept of that red owl is that from anything or is that something that yourselves and travis all came up with and Oh no, that, that is all, that is all Travis. You know, there's mm-hmm. an original version of the film that was just, you know, the sort of the psycho brings the girl to the cabin sort of set up and the furies come to rake him over the coals. Mm-hmm. But Travis added all of this art world influence. Mm-hmm. Um, he did uh, just an incredible job. I, I, I mean, I learned even just, just recently that the image of Meredith standing and her sort of like, her her sheer her sheer robe packing her suitcase mm-hmm. um you know that partially nude kind of beautiful tableau with the cat at her feet it was actually an homage to a painting i actually i wish i'd written down it wasn't leonora Car- leonora carrington's work but there's a lot of call out um and homage to to the art world I, I think even down to the phallic stove that bruce fights with the you know the the fireplace clamp i think i think yeah. there's just it's just ripe with it but um i 
I am not fully aware, nor am I, <laughs> nor am I in any way educated, uh, uh, tip to tail about, um, about any of it. I, I, I hate to say <laughs> the limitations of the upstate, uh, New York, uh, school, public school system have, you know, gotten me by the, by the balls, unfortunately. That's fair. I was, that was, that was the next question I was going to ask, um, just in terms of the sort of art references. So that was quite new to yourself as well, because I'm personally, I think I've been to two art galleries, the Louvre and one in Glasgow. Um, so mm-hmm. the kind of the, the deep cuts in the art world are quite uh, a foreign concept to me. But it's cool, you know, because mm. like people learn about it after the fact or as more literature comes out about the movie you kind of go oh shit and then you look at the painting and then you can go back and watch the film again it has this rewatchability quality like you know with the other films i've done even even a, a video game movie that i did you know you try and imbue some easter eggs for the fans and for uh for there to be easter eggs in art it just it just ignites certainly me as a movie a movie lover and a movie watcher you know even with the work of you know adaptations of Stephen King I'm so excited to go back in and just kind of see oh wow that's a a wink to this story or this piece of artwork or this video game moment or whatever it is I'm a sucker for it so um it's educated me you know <laughs> if if anything is I'm, I'm kind of learning as as I'm watching not only this movie, but many a thing where, you know, you actually do the artist deep dive to figure out, you know, what the filmmaker was inspired by. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's a great point. Um, So Bruce's journey, when essentially we can go full spoilers on this, by the way, as long as you're Mm -hmm. you're happy doing that, Um, because I'll I'll put a a note on. Um, The movie kind of takes a turn almost at the halfway point where Bruce gets the shit beat out of him <laughs> by, <laughs> yeah. by a, a Meredith who he thought was dead and has his mm. skull caved in, his eyes smashed and this is when we start getting the more trippy side of the film, this is where things mm-hmm. take the weird turn um, mm-hmm. totally unexpected obviously a, a, a lot of time with myself in movies I do try and avoid trailers and if I just basically I'll pick it up off of people who have um, recommended it. So like, I think it was the Evolution of Horror podcast had seen this at Fright Fest maybe and mm. mentioned how it was fantastic. So I went, okay, let you see that then. Um, and then seen yourself in it as well. Um, the So the, the twist when it starts to go into all this weird hallucinogenic stuff, how fun was that filming it? Because there's a lot, as you're saying, practical effects as well, which obviously isn't always the norm nowadays it was it was so fun i I talk so often about we all knew uh, as actors and as crew members what we were signing up for that we were gonna we were gonna be making a film that was heavy in the practical effects you know yeah um that so much of what we'd be experiencing was in camera and so we'd be acting opposite these you know creatures in time these sort of specters um you know that the wardrobe was going to be um quite visceral uh the physical stuff was so was so fun to me um the practical effects were immense because it really does age your performance it it made the entire process of it just so exciting especially just as a film a filmmaker and a film nerd 
Mm-hmm. Um, we all knew that that's kind of what we were getting to, but there's, there's nothing like actually being there, like being in the middle of woods and looking at 50 feet of fabric flying in the air with a wind machine and, you know, actually running with the eyepiece and blood in your hair. I, I just, <clears throat> it's a dream scenario for me as an actor. I, I so rarely get uncomfortable um you know when i get to get to get to play pretty much any role in any capacity i feel most comfortable just kind of making stuff so uh, mm-hmm. i was i was in heaven I, you know we we all we all were despite the cold nights and stuff <laughs> and the um the, there's really a lot of haunting and creepy and disturbing visuals but there's also some weird type of humor in it as well, like warped <laughs> yeah. humor, especially the yeah. the scene where it's almost like the red owls being captured by two doctors of some kind, and they're kind of yeah. pulling the hat yeah. off, and there's this strange art piece head that's got eyeballs on it and everything, and just Bruce totally losing his shit seeing things like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, just being there and seeing that um, those visuals in person was just <clears throat> was out of control. It was it was so uh, it was so wild um, and so effective. And then again, I mean, pretty much. Oh, sorry, there, there's my plumber. Uh, there's, <laughs> right. there's so so much homage to to art. I mean, I think even the creature within the owl is an homage to the Polish poster for Alien. Um, okay. Which is wild. I think if you were to look that up, you see pretty much exactly the same the same creature. It's really insane. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just Gonzo, and I think that's why people are responding to the movie in such a positive way. You know, is like it's fresh. It's 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 different. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we're all kind of craving that these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what you're saying about the Polish poster for Alien, I definitely need to look that up. I always see things on Twitter sometimes, and it's like the Ghanaian posters. There's loads of them you always see on Twitter, um, kind of similar vein. Um, so I'll check that out I finished. So with everything happening with the Furies, um, a question I've kind of went over in my head, how much do you feel is real and how much of it do you feel is in Bruce's head? Not necessarily, it could be open to interpretation for whoever's watching, I think. But Oh, I think, uh, I think, oh, that's a great, I mean, as far as the Furies are concerned, I like to, I like to think that he's actually being terrorized by, by an entity. Mm-hmm. I think the Red Owl is his um, self-aggrandizing uh, pedestal narrative to, um, uh, to make him seen to to I don't know just to just to um to blow up his own ego imagine mm-hmm. for the sake of his own ego he thinks he's he's not just a serial killer who's you know demented he is driven by and inspired by this exotic entity that tells him what to do and controls him it's all part of his um it's all part of his story, in, yeah. you know, it, w- within the confines of his narcissistic ego. Mm-hmm. Sees himself almost but as I, an artist as well. Yeah, I think so. I think he wants to. That's why he's got, you know, the kind, the vintage car and the exotic murder weapon and the yeah. house and the paintings and all that stuff. He's he's got. He's like most narcissistic uh, personalities. Most narcissistic men, especially, they like to peacock with stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Let me show you how, you know, interesting and exotic these these things that I have that I possess are and that's how I'm going to seduce you. Mm-hmm. And some people fall for that shit. And I think his his probably his his squirmiest situation would be, you know, not being seen despite how shiny he was able to, you know, exhibit his his peacocking and how shiny he, you know, the, the his his collection of stuff yeah, yeah. His, yeah, his biggest fear is almost, as you're saying, you're not getting noticed. Um, yeah. So, coming on to the, the kind of the last small parts of the movie, um, I say small parts, that's the wrong word. Um, the, when he starts to, he removes like a small bud from his head, um, and then he starts <laughs> saying that he's now cured, and it was never really him, it was the owl, it was this part of his brain that's been removed. Do you believe that? Do you think that's actually, or is does he believe that fully, or is it just him trying to get himself out of a really bad situation? So com- completely the latter. Yeah, he's he's just trying to get himself out of a shit situation, but mm. even more cathartically, he was just fully manipulated by Meredith to Tiffany. Yeah. Yeah, so he actually did, you know, reach into his own injury and further fuck up his brain. That's what's just so so funny about it, so wickedly gallows about it all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then over the credits, there is what looks the most cold scene from our scene. Were you freezing at that point in the death throes at the end? Because you were there a long time. I uh, I I was chilly, but I think I was I don't know warmed by how excited I was to do this long take. You know, as a kid of theater, um, and that we only had one shot or at least limited shots to do it. You yeah. know, we 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 spent a whole film cartridge on that. You know, all eleven minutes of it, uh, not all of which made the final cut. But um, that's the shit I live for, you know. I dream for that kind of thing, and I, I think Travis does too. That's why he suggested it. He's like, "Oh, I think by this point I can ask this of my actors. I think they're kind of down, you know. They're taking some swings." Mm-hmm. It was cold. It was rainy. It was wet. I was in a toga, you know, the rocks. <laughs> I think at one point there was somehow like a pebble in my prosthetic, like in the eye, kind, you know, uh, uh, that I couldn't scratch because I had this. Uh, this this rubber thing affixed to my face with glue, um, but I was in heaven. I loved committing to it and and dying in the rain, covered in blood. I mean, it's just like that's that's why I do this stuff, you know. I, I, I'm not easily uh, uh, discomforted when it comes to you know movie making because this this is what that's what you do. Mm. And it may be different if he asked you that on the first day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Would have been, yeah. Good. Yeah, luck is very, very wise to do that in the last forty-eight hours. Because if I stormed off, uh, you know, if, if he was, he'd, he'd seen me storm off, he'd be like, "Well, at least I got a minute of it." You know, <laughs> definitely. Um, so that was a wounded fawn. Everyone should a hundred percent check it out. As Josh was saying, it is incredibly different from anything you've you've seen before. No matter what you think's coming. Um, then you, you just don't know. It is wild and it is definitely one of the horrors of the year. Um, on to your next one then, Blood Relatives. Personal do anything to stay alive. So after they turned me, I decided to start over.
Marcus Lucker. Who are you? I'm Vanessa Murray's daughter from Elk River. You'd passed through 15 years ago. Tell your mother she's mistaken. She died three weeks ago. And how'd you find me? The internet. I can go out during the day. Always wear sunscreen, SPF a million, avoided recess, but... Let me see your teeth. Oy vey. Told you. She's definitely yours. What the hell am I supposed to do? Be a person. I'm not a person. I don't have anyone. There's no one there. What do you think this is? You think that I've got some place that I can take you? Like the Batcave? You're feeling a little conflicted. You can imagine how I feel. As a vampire who was also a teenager. Find something that you and your kid connect on. Something you could do together. Maybe we could go on a little trip. Seeing a family member can be very therapeutic. Just give me a taste. This whole thing was a mistake. What do you want from me? Everything! I don't have anything! I'm not mad. I'm... Disappointed. Impressed. Um, directed by Noah Sagan, who is also the... One of the main characters is Francis. Um, we've got uh, Victoria Morales as Jane and yourself as Roger Fieldner. Um, this is a good... So it actually reminded me slightly in terms of the, the vampire style. It was a vampire story, a vampire road movie, really, um, mm-hmm. of one of Travis's previous ones, Jacob's wife, visually in terms yeah. of the lighting and things like that. And... The fun nature of it. How how do you feel the... Obviously, you've made uh, Werewolves Within, another kind of monster movie. How do you feel the position in these characters, these classic, almost like the universal-style monsters are just now, in terms of the strength of them? We seem to be getting a wee bit more... um, I I mean, I think we're also getting another universal Wolfman, actually, but... um, how do you feel the state of play is with these characters in the film industry at the minute? Uh, you know, I think it's, I think so long as you give a filmmaker carte blanche, a good visionary carte mm-hmm. blanche to, to take it, take these universal creatures and do with it what, what they're excited to do, put them in positions we haven't yet seen. That's always exciting. Um, I think if anything, you know, I, I'm eager to see what the next uh, quote unquote universe or, or next iconic monster is as a fan of Freddy and Pinhead and Candyman. And I think, you know, I think even funny enough, like Megan will be a part of that next to Chucky, you know, standing there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see who our next, um, you know, era of monsters are, but the, but the ghost, the werewolf, the vampire, um, the 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 lichen, Frankenstein, mummy, they the creature, the black lagoon. They're they're also interesting, kind of cover a, a spectrum of humanity in kind of an odd way, and almost sort of archetype and personality, and, um, uh, and exhibit and, and and probably comment on different fears. I think so long as as filmmakers are truly taking swings with them, it won't feel derivative. It won't feel tiring. I think that's why people are responding to Blood Relatives, is because it's like. I, you know, we can't do any better than let the right one in. 
or Bram Stoker's Dracula, or the original for that matter, or mm-hmm. even the Hammer films, which I grew up on, the Christopher Lee films for that matter. So on the flip side, it was very smart, first and foremost for Noah to say, this is a movie about fatherhood. This is a movie about a father and a daughter. It's a love story. Um, and then to bring the genre element into it as a secondary thing. Um, you know, so long as 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 we're allowed to and we're funded in the taking chances of it all, I think we're going to be just fine. I think the state will stay fresh, but um, we're, we're all craving something different, whether Universal Monsters or otherwise in the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it was cool to be a part of this one. It was like, well, you know, we, we can't touch the other shit. Let's try something smaller. Let's go the other direction. Let's try making a new kind of gateway horror uh, to a degree and with, you know, these great actors at that. Yeah. It almost feels like Noah's showing Francis as the banality of immortality, like the the, yeah. the almost kind of boredom of being a vampire. He's not yeah. driven by a bloodlust. He 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 isn't filled with evil and rage. He's just driving and stopping and driving and stopping, feeding when he has yeah. to, and just getting yeah. by. There's also not the kind of uh, the grandeur of certain vampire movies where they've amassed a, a huge amount of wealth he's just getting by and it's a really interesting take on it in that way yeah yeah and, and i i totally i totally agree i sh- i sure hope that you know at least it's but if it's if it's not right now um uh that in the future Six months down the road, five months down the road, depending on when listeners are listening to this uh, this show, mm-hmm. that people will get blood relatives on VOD and and share it with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that it has that kind of longevity because you know, a younger generation gets to see it, and you know there's there doesn't have to be that kind of waiting game till you hit ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen depending on how cool your parents are to, yeah. you know, to let you watch a, a road movie like this with, with some horror stuff. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, having the, the younger element with the daughter in it as well just adds to that sort of gateway, as you're saying. And the violence yeah. isn't too over the top. It's not too um, graphic in its depiction of the, the killings that happen in it, I don't think. There's certain pits and bits and pieces. But, yeah, yeah it certainly... It certainly could be obviously a, it's on shudder over here. Um I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the same in the States. Um but so it's easily accessible for people as well. And I definitely yeah. feel like it's got a, a kind of cult following around it that's I hope potential so. for it especially as well. Yeah, yeah. Um so your character, uh, Roger, is almost like a Renfield style, <laughs> or certainly uh-huh. as if he feels like he should be the Renfield style. He calls, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, he calls Francis his master um, uh-huh. when when Jane goes to see him and he talks of doing anything for him. He has, he's been catatonic for years since uh, mm-hmm. Francis had, had attacked him and then used the, they just really call it the staring thing, don't they? They don't really have a well, it's like a hypnosis that they're able to, which you sometimes see in yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, and was that one, was that a character that Noah was just saying to you, just take it full balls to the wall type of? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, his name is Roger Fieldner, uh, uh, you know, where the (laughs) Ren, and it it took me, dude, it took me even playing him like, oh yeah, that's what, that's the Easter egg in in the name, you know? Um, I mean, I think, I think at every turn, I, I think even, even Jane and Mrs. Schelling, I think, I think, you know, you can find different kind of homages to the literature and to, you know, past films and the like. And I'm, I'm pretty dense. I can't, I haven't quite picked up probably on, on all of them, just like with the Wounded Fawn's art references. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just fun. That's, you know, coming from the comedy world, that's the kind of role I, I could roll out of bed and play, you know, the kind of uh, quirky oddball creeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always so fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was excellent. It's just, it's a, uh, a, a short scene, but a really great scene. And again, uh, Jane, played by uh, Victoria Morales, is fantastic as well throughout the whole movie. But her just kind of... She's got that witty banter about her. She really seems to be able to yeah. click it out and, and fire it out, and especially in those those scenes with yourself where she's got to put her finger on your tongue. <laughs> and it's just yeah. you can feel her recoiling, and you seem really happy with getting to lick her finger. Yeah, yeah, it was just a poor, poor Vic. You know, this is the second movie we've done together. Where I met her on a film called Plan B. My friend Natalie Morales directed for Hulu, and I got to play, you know, this kind of gas station weirdo sort of hitting on her. She's like, "Why, why are you always playing a creeper? You know, why are you always creeping on me? I'm in this, on these movies. We're gonna have to just play buddies next." Uh, but yeah, it was just it's so fun to do. We were both so thrilled to actually like work with each other uh, again, um, just because it was so fun the first time. Mm-hmm. Aye, yeah, it was great. Um, and it's quite a, an open-ended finale to this. Um, Francis and, and Jane drive off into the, not the sunset necessarily, obviously, but um, drive <laughs> off into the distance together. But there's also a little hint at werewolves, which I thought was fantastic, just a slight yeah. with, with Jane's friend. Could you see if, as you said, if it gets the popularity, could you see the continued tales of Jane and Francis and maybe expanding that world and having your own kind of internal monster world. Oh, absolutely. You know, so many people have mentioned wanting to see this as a, as a series. Mm -hmm. Um, So many people have mentioned it as, you know, this feels like a pilot and I'd watch seasons and seasons of this. Holy shit. I I would love to explore it. Um, I would love Noah to explore it. Uh, And I, um, seeing that you know people responded to it the way that they did there's a very specific tone in here and a, and a life and a mythology that's so inherent in the writing that um yeah i i i would love to to live in this world or you know certainly would would champion noah to 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 um to blow it out because i think there's just there's just so much fun to be had and again i mean just seeing how audiences have responded to it um uh who knows who knows what the future of AMC and Shutter may hold. I hope that it will have a, a long and healthy, um, a long and healthy life, and and that we can do we can do a series for them. I don't necessarily see feature sequels. Um, I, maybe I'm just kind of saying that because I want to will a television series into uh, into existence. But um, just to revisit this world and to blow it out would just be super fun because these characters were just so so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just before I, I came on today, I actually heard about the whole AMC and Shudder thing, so fingers crossed for that. Um, yeah. So, before I let you go, if it's okay with yourself to touch a wee bit on Werewolves Within and Scare Me. 
Absolutely, always happy to talk about my my children. Black night. At its heart, neath the silence. Hi, boys. This is a community. One that agrees about more than it doesn't. <laughs> Put it on your Kwanzaa tree. No such thing. Y'all believe? Like hard work. <laughs> Love. And the being a good neighbor. I know it's easy to get caught up in the fear of the situation. I know it's easy to point the finger and fear each other. But can we all just take a breath? Please hold off on being enemies. All I'm asking is that you be a good neighbor. Like Mr. Rogers. With guns, though. With guns, yes. So, him. We've been speaking about werewolves, we'll continue that theme just now then. So, I absolutely loved this. I thought it was an absolute blast. Um, Melina Ventrub, is that how I say her surname? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And Sam Richardson is uh, Cecily and Finn, fantastic all the way through. Um, you know, obviously, this is you directed this one, you didn't put yourself in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. That's and true. I've kind of already asked about the kind of the universal and the werewolf movies going forward. Getting a hold of this was Werewolves Within, a, a video game that you were aware of. I, but until I'd seen your movie, I didn't even know it was a video game. Yeah, not many people did. It's an obscure one. Hmm. Um, but the cool thing is that Ubisoft has this uh, this film and television program um, for for women writers. And Mishna Wolf, uh, our screenwriter, the writer of Werewolves Within, was a part of that, and she was able to pick from an archive of Ubisoft video games from both the well known to the more obscure. And she picked um, she picked Werewolves because it reminded her of Clue, reminded her of the thing she saw a kind of um, uh, a um, oh gosh, uh, I almost said Kirsty Alley who done it, um, but it's Agatha Christie. There's uh, yeah. my plumber again, and Agatha Christie who done it. Um, and that, that was, uh, yeah, that, as soon as I cracked open the script, I was like, holy shit, this is like, it's kind of Fargo-esque as well. It feels Mm. very Coen Brothers. It feels, um, very Coen Brothers by way of Amblin, Mm. um, with some (laughs) thing-like elements. Um, so it was just, it was just rad to see, you know, just again, like with the blood relatives of it all, it's like rad to kind of subvert them, that, that movie monster. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I was, I was so lucky that that came, came along the way that it did. Um, because, uh, because you don't, you don't get many chances like that, especially many like financed movies, um, you know, that can pay homage to the stuff that you, you grew up doing as a kid, the way that werewolves did. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic. And as you said, it has that clue, uh, the Coen brothers style with, um, Mm-hmm. The kind of comical deaths as well, like there's like not, mm-hmm. I mean not accidental deaths, but there's certainly the gore is turned up to eleven. Everything's just left fully on the screen. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's an absolute ball, and then a fantastic finale. I won't spoil spoil that one, but um, yeah, fantastic. Um, and then scare me. Um, 
another really original. Do you say Scare Me is a horror movie? I see it as uh, perhaps a psychological black comedy, mm. um, maybe more of a dark comedy than a straight horror. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, you, c- you could stretch to say it's a horror comedy, but I think I think a black comedy, a dark comedy, is is uh, maybe more the maybe more the route. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you play uh, Fred. You've got Aya Cash as Fanny, who she was Stormfront in the Boys as well, wasn't she? Um, yeah, she was. Yeah, if they, they, not neo Nazi at all. She was just a Nazi, but she was great in that. Um, Chris Red as Carlo, um, and just the fact that the majority of the film is yourself and Aya, and then obviously Chris comes in later on, and you're able to hold hold the the interest and hold the intrigue and the tension and there is kind of chilling moments throughout it even though it's probably yeah. more more uh, based in, in comedy yeah there are you know i was uh i was a horror fan before i was a comedy fan okay. um and uh, I, I think to have eventually gotten the opportunity to make a movie, let alone a movie like this, you know, being an opportunity to like dip into the darker stuff and homage to the horror that I love, I, I think, um, I think, I think my my uh, I wouldn't say my obsession, but but my interest in in darker material has kind of always been there, and mm-hmm. so to to play in that playground. Um, I think it's probably o- o- only appropriate, you know. Yeah. Uh, this this kind of movie being being my first film, I guess I, I kind of have a, a darkness to me, as probably most comedian types do. <laughs> um, and uh, it's also it is a sort of dark subject matter, um, hmm. but uh, uh, a very specific subject at that. You know, the, the the fact that you're dealing with intergender competition is, is such an interesting, and for some, certainly for some men, such a squirmy subject mm. because it's very sort of realistic. And it was it was a lot, hell of a lot of fun to to um, push the boundaries of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's an again fantastic, fantastic movie, and such a, a, a an original idea. Um, you were the oh, thank you the writer for that as well. And was that something? Had that been brewing for a while? Uh, it hadn't brewed for too long. You know, scare me, scare me is a very quick process. I, I think I wrote that script in, I want to say April of. Okay. Uh, April of 2018, we were in pre-production October of 2018. We shot in January of 2019, and then we were in, in Sundance in 2020. Mm-hmm. So it was a very, very quick sort of uh, sort of turnaround, though we did sit on the movie for, you know, um, pretty much, yeah, pretty much a year before the thing debuted, mm-hmm. just shy of it. Cool. Um so yeah, I say both both those uh, movies as well are excellent. You should check them out. Werewolves Within was on Sky here, so if you've got Sky, it should be on there. And Scare Me is also on Shudder as well. Um, I watched it the other day again, and it was still fantastic. Um, oh, thank you. No, no problem. Um, so one last wee question, just to wrap up. Then, twenty twenty two, and maybe even the past couple of years, really seems it's been really strong for horror, whether it's independent, um, self-financed, mainstream, big studio stuff. Do you think it seems that there's 
less of a snobbery towards the horror genre now. It seems like there's more, not acceptance, but certainly quality filmmakers are choosing to make horror. I mean, just this year we've just uh, we've had X, uh, Terrifier Two, yeah. Smile, Barbarian, Deadstream, just lots of great output just this year. I know. I know. I, I, I don't I don't know what it is. I, I feel like between Ari Aster's hereditary and Andy Machete's um Machete's It mm. films, uh something really shook up the studio system where they kind of went, Oh shit, and obviously of course Jordan Peele's get out. Mm-hmm. There was a confluence of um of fandom and of positive critical reviews that kind of, you know, shook this genre out of the gutter or as a lot of people see as being a gutter genre Mm. and seeing an opportunity to be immensely creative and, um, and push the boundaries of social commentary. Mm. And, uh, and so now what we're doing is, you know, rather than focusing on making every film about trauma or every film, you know, a commentary, uh, uh, offering or opportunity. Now we are uh, filmmakers are kind of going. Okay, what else is there? So I think I think the era that we're in right now and why we're in such a fun one is because people filmmakers are hip to the fact that we want fun scares again. I think what we're seeing is kind of a a resurgence of the '80s style fun horror wave. Yeah. Um, if there were, I mean, I guess our modern Freddy is Art the Clown. We have Art the Clown now in our Freddy Krueger sort of place, like doing ridiculous shit. Yeah. Um, you know, ridiculous kills, ridiculous imagery. People are going and cackling and loving it because, you know, once again, um, we are finding ourselves in, in not in necessarily in bleak times, but we're surviving. We have we're a demographic of humanity that have we are human beings who survived this kind of bleak era and are now ready to kind of laugh again. Yeah. Um. And uh. And that's that's my shit. I mean, I grew up loving Tremors and Gremlins and you know La Dream Master, um, Dream Warriors, just uh, <laughs> loving all of the fun horror films. Yeah. Um. And to be a part of it while still pushing the gore and pushing the scares is something I really want to do. Yeah. Excellent. So it's cool. To, cool to see. Yeah. Definitely. And being a horror fan myself, I've got a Freddy T-shirt on just now. So. Um, yeah oh that is one wow it's great so cross between borderlands and freddy oh that that's what it is i was like that looks like the borderlands text and yeah. like, oh, no, that's a phrase oh, yeah, oh. dreamlands um so uh just then for yourself are you able to talk about anything you've got coming up next once the the kind of the press and everything dies down around the two movies you've got out there now sure yeah well i ha- i um i'm getting into graphic novel territory i want to cool. get into um to yeah so I, I was a comic book fan you know very early on too so i have a graphic novel that's uh it's kind of a josh rubin movie-esque idea about um you know this irritable small town woman who starts to fantasize this creature in her house that tells her to do wicked things cool. um, so uh, it's called darla and it should be out in 2023 from Invader Comics. Um, this brilliant uh, artist, uh, Brianna Tippetts, who I has done a lot of fan artwork um, for films that I've done and for, for tons of other people. She's just such incredible artist. People should follow her on Instagram and Twitter. Um, 
she I'm just staring at a bunch of wounded fawn and blood relatives uh artwork she sent me so I have to send her a Christmas card to thank her um yeah she she drew the drew the book and um it should be out uh next year and then you know always just kind of working on various movies but uh you just you never know when the hell they're going to get made you know they they say we're all close but I do think as a horror filmmaker we're we're more likely to get our our films off the ground than say you know your family drama these days, yeah. which is cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a it's almost a, a if it's going to to the big screen, it's almost a guaranteed profit maker. I think the horror at the minute as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. And we've got great streaming services and Shudder, and hopefully it keeps going as strong as it is. And this year, it's been one of its strongest. So. I will let you go then and get back to your plumber. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, thank so, you. So, Josh Rubin, Thanks thank you very much. <laughs> I know, thank you, man. Yeah, it was such a it was such a pleasure, Andrew. I so appreciate it. Hi. Hi. So, what are you running from? Running. Well, this place looks uh, haunted. I'm writing. Oh, really? Me too. So what are you working on? It's kind of a revenge story about werewolves. You written anything I've read? Or? I just wrote a book called um, Venus. You wrote Venus. You're a best-selling author. I'm so sorry. This road is actually only for best-selling authors, so I might kick you out. You're not so great. Huh. You're powerful! Power outage. I'm bored. Let's tell each other scary stories. I've cheese, I have veggie, right? You seem like a fella who might be interested in some scary stories. And you seem correct. Hit me, scare master. So, uh, there's this little boy. You hear something. Gasp. This is the part in the story where the creepy strings kick in. Everything goes into slow motion. Jesus Christ, dude. It's a good story, right? It's just been done, like, I don't know, six or seven hundred times. Just because you're the best-selling author doesn't mean you get to school me on the story. Actually, yes, it does. Look at you! You are emasculated! <laughs> I'm going to get you! Run, Jason! Do one of about dead babies. Like an army of them? You know, they got like little baby hands. It's just like, we don't want bottles, we want blood, you know? <laughs> Fred, what are you doing with that poker? This part of the story?